But before I read the Bible, let me pray. I have Father, we come tonight with many things that could distract us. And our hearts even may be cold towards you. But please, would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us, even though we are unpromising people. Please speak to us through the Bible. Please put in front of us your great promises and help us to believe them and to live in the light of them. And we pray this for our good and for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms. Alms, if you haven't heard that word before, it's like another word for money. They asked money, alms, of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico, portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. 
Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. <coughs> Moses said, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, <coughs> sent him to you first to bless you, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. We're going to pause, the children will leave, and we'll carry on and learn from that part of the Bible. So please keep it open. How would you draw a picture of heaven? Now you might have heard me even say in the past that a little boy picked up a crayon once and told his teacher, I'm going to draw God. And the teacher said, no one knows what God looks like. And the boy said, they will, very soon. And he drew the picture. Well, Acts 3 will help us to draw a picture of heaven. It's a picture of a man leaping. And that's the picture in Acts chapter 3. The picture of the man, his legs are restored. That happens at the start of the chapter. By the end of the chapter, in verse 21, you will see all things restored. And it would be a good evening for us if we put those two things together. One man is restored, and that equals one day all will be restored. One leads to the other. That's how this chapter works. So we look at those two things together, one after the other. First, one man restored. Now, if you were here last week and you read with us Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and uh, verse 43, you see how Luke tells us that uh, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And you might say, if, Jesus, if the, the apostles did many signs, how many signs will Luke described to us, answer one. He'll describe this sign, this man being restored. We meet him in Acts chapter 3, verse 2. And uh, Luke is a doctor. And Luke is a doctor telling us he's got no hope. He's got no hope because in verse 2, he never walked. He was lame from birth which means he's been lame for a very long time. If you just think of the page, chapter 4, verse 32, you see that he is over 40 years old. 
he is fully dependent on others, he has to beg. He has no future. He has no hope. Just one thing going for him in verse 2. He's found a good pitch. He's found the one place in town that will give him money. He's at the temple gate where all the religious people pass and therefore he's uh, going to look to them to give. And in verse 3 you'll see he's not shy to ask them to do that. And you need to see that in verse 3. So grab a Bible and D.D. and uh, turn to Acts chapter 3 where you'll see it happen. It all happened. So Acts uh, chapter 3 and verse 2 and you meet the man. But you also meet the apostles, Peter and John, same verse. And it's interesting to see that uh, they say they have no money. Again, if you remember last week in Acts chapter 2, you see people gave them lots of money. They would sell fields. And in Acts chapter 5, the practice was to bring all the money and to put it at the apostles' feet. And if Peter and John say, we have no money. The money's come in. They've kept nothing. In the days of prosperity preaching, it is helpful to remember the words of Peter. Silver and gold have I none. And the Lord Jesus would say the same. But even if they had money, it's not what they would have given. Because they have something better at the end of verse 6. Someone once said, this man asked for arms and he got legs. And the miracle is huge. Because it's not just the lameness goes, it's the muscles grow. Normally, if you break a leg, you can fix the leg. But it'll take months of physio and exercise to build the muscles up before you're perfectly confident and strong. Here's a man who's never walked, and suddenly he is walking and leaping. It's not just one miracle, it's two. The whole restoration has happened in him. And that's a reason why this miracle is huge, but there's a bigger reason why this miracle is huge. It's because of Isaiah chapter 35. And Isaiah chapter 35 says that God will come back, and in verse 4, when he comes back, he will save his people. And then in verses 5 to 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And the word leap in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 7, is the same word used twice in Acts chapter 3. And leaping up he stood, and walking and leaping and praising God in verse 8. So Jesus, uh, Peter did not uh, give him money. Money would have made this life better. But he gives him Isaiah 35. He gives him next life. He gives him something better than making this life easier to live with. And I think that's really helpful for us as Christians. The pressures are on to make people's life better now. 
And the gospel says we can give something better. On Thursday, we had a young man come to my front door. I was preparing Acts chapter 3. I went downstairs to answer the bell. And he said he was collecting for the NCH. I said, wonderful. NCH is a good charity. But not many people give to or invest in someone's eternal future. I want to put my money there. He said, but the NCH, they help you. A little girl, he mentioned the name, she's got hearing problems. We'll get her hearing aids. She wants to be a doctor. We'll help her achieve her ambition. Her, her, her ambition. And I said, and what happens when the little girl dies? I want something better for her then. And Christians are invited to give to things now. And we say, no, we want something better for people. And we give for the future. We give to something with the gospel built in. And so this man is restored, not just in a way that would uh, help him to stop begging, but in a way that helps him to think of his future. Peter and John had something better, and this man was restored. Here's the second point. One man restored equals one day all men restored. Peter wants the crowd to see the bigness of what has happened. Now they are impressed if you look at verse 11. They are astounded and uh, come together, but they're impressed by the wrong people in verse 12. And Peter says, don't look at us. And what Peter says, he says, to them that would be true of all Christian ministers, he says, I have no power and I have no piety, I have no godliness. And every single Christian leader would say the same thing. I have no power. I am no different. I am just as frail. And the reason why Peter does that is because he wants to help people to avoid the danger of a, hori of a horizontal faith. It's possible to have a horizontal faith, to put your faith in people on the same level. And so people can put their faith in a Christian minister that they respect and they value. But that only gives a horizontal faith. Or people might put their faith in other people. And so you come to church because it's a, a different evening. It takes you out the house and it puts you in a good company of friends. And the danger is you end up with a horizontal faith. And Peter doesn't want a horizontal faith in verse 12. He wants a vertical faith in verse 13. And that's where he goes. He said, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our fathers. Look there. He is glorifying Jesus. So that uh, he wants to avoid the horizontal faith. And he gives them a vertical faith in what God has done. Now, Jesus is the one who's getting the glory, and Jesus did the same thing when he was here. In John chapter 5, he made a lame man walk, 
and we sang about that in the song earlier. And Luke tells us that he's now telling us what Jesus continued to do and teach. And so therefore, in Acts chapter 3, we have Jesus doing the same thing again. And Peter says he will do this for you one day. Only your problem, he tells the crowd, is not your lameness, but your deadness. And dead people are people who have rejected Jesus. That's what the crowd had done. And so therefore, in verse 13, he gives Jesus his full weight. You are rejecting the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the fathers. This God glorified Jesus, and you have not thought the same. And God wasn't the only one who was glorifying Jesus as you read down the list. You thought he was a false prophet? Moses said he was the prophet in verse 22. You should listen to him. You spoke against him. Samuel and the other prophets spoke of him when they were looking at this day. You said his father was the devil. That's what the Jews said about Jesus in his lifetime. You said his father was the devil. His father was Abraham. And you gave life to a murderer. And you murdered the author of life in verse 14. One thing after another, he is helping people to see the guilt is huge when you reject Jesus. When you think of Jesus differently to the way God thinks of him. But he doesn't go for the jugular. In verse 17 he says, you acted in ignorance. They are guilty, but they are ignorant. Therefore, forgivable. And the Old Testament makes a distinction between uh, those who are uh, uh, sinning deliberately and presumptuously and those who sin in ignorance. And Peter may have in mind Numbers chapter 15, verses 27 and 28, where it says, if one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat, a year old, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who made a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him. And he shall be forgiven. So there is a sacrifice for sin that can be forgiven if people have acted in ignorance against the Lord Jesus in their rejection of him. And so Peter says, you were acting in ignorance in verse 17, but there was a sacrifice in verse 18. And therefore, there can be forgiveness. Your sins may be blotted out. And we'll come to that in a moment. I'll say more. But you can see the sequence of blessing. There comes forgiveness in verse 19. In verse 20, there's times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And then finally, 
that is restoration of all things. That's what repentance leads to in the end. And so there is this uh, chain reaction and you begin to see how it works out. When you're hopeless and humble, the end is restored, like the man in the story. When you're proud and you continue and you don't listen, in verse 20, 23, you are destroyed. And we want to understand how we can therefore take this word seriously, take this word home. And I do what I do, which is to end up talking to three different groups of people. And the first group of people I want to talk to are those who may be new to Christian things. And you want to know how to follow Jesus, what that involves. And verse 14 is helpful because verse 14 tells us about this man called Barabbas. You don't get his name in verse 14. He is the murderer that was released instead of Jesus. You want his story? It's in Matthew chapter 27. And what happened was that uh, the Jews went up to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he said, I'm happy to uh, let you choose between Barabbas and Jesus. And they said, we want Jesus to die, we want Barabbas to live. And from then on, for the rest of his life, Barabbas would have gone around saying, I was guilty, but an innocent man died in my place. And every Christian will talk like that, because that's what has happened. And we can turn around and uh, ask God, to forgive us that we've got God badly wrong because we've had no place for Jesus. We have thought differently about him to the way God sees him, which is to reject him, to be like the people who killed him the day that he died. Therefore, we need to see how that is what repentance is about. And if we are humble, if we admit this is the way we have reacted to Jesus in the past, then what happens is the step-by-step -step blessing that follows. In verse 19, you find out that sins can be blotted out. In those days, they wrote on papyrus. But the ink that they used had no acid in it, so it didn't bite into the paper, it didn't leave a mark. So if you poured water on the papyrus, all the writing would wash off. And you could start again, you could put new writing. And so the sins that are blotted out, washed away in verse 19, make room for new writing in verse 20. Writing this time from the Lord's hand. Times of refreshing are promised from Him. And ultimately, restoration. So you one day will walk and leap and praise God. That is a wonderful door that opens when we're humble and we admit the way that we have rejected Jesus ourselves. That's a good word, a helpful thought to take back 
if you're new to Christian things, to ask God to help you repent and to restore you. Here's the second thing that might be helpful. If you're someone who's gone to church lots, well, people's talking to those who have gone to church lots. Imagine telling full-scale temple goers that they need to turn to God. And we need to tell church goers that they need to turn to God because in every church, including our church, people here tonight are here in church but have not turned to God in any deep, significant way. And I think this passage tells us two reasons why it doesn't happen. The connection doesn't take place. The two reasons are these. We've seen them in the passage already. It is so easy to have a horizontal faith, to come here because of the people that you like to meet. And that is a horizontal faith, and it will not get you to heaven. And very often, I think, where there are churches of one colour, I suppose these days mainly black, or if you're white churches where you're mainly one class, it shows that the draw is horizontal. And we've got a faith that will not save us. The second reason why people who are churchgoers need to turn to God is because very often there is no repentance. So if you imagine your old life like a house, it is easy to build an extension called church, but nothing in the old house changes. The way that you spend money in the old house continues to be the way you spend money in the present. The extension doesn't really make too much difference. The idols that you followed in the old house and you live for are still the idols you live for now. The morality that you had in the old house is still the morality that is there in the present. There's no change. There's no deep repentance. There is no saving faith. And there needs to be a turning to God. And the way you turn to God is you ask the deep question, how do I repent? so that I may really turn into a new life from the life I have. What happens if you are, thirdly then, a person who wants to live for the gospel, a real believer? I want to suggest that uh, our Christian life can sometimes feel like uh, we're not getting anywhere could maybe look like this, that we're on a train, but the train has stopped. We're at the station, and there's no progress. Or if we've left the station, it's slow progress. And there comes a time, I think, if you're a Christian, and you think, you know, we're seeing the same scenery. I wonder if I've done the right thing. Maybe I should get off the train. And Acts chapter 3 is here to say, stay on the train. This train has been going for 4,000 years, since the days of Abraham, 2,000 years to Jesus, and since Jesus, 2,000 years to us. 
This trade has been going for 4,000 years. Nothing has stopped it. This trade has momentum. It is going to its destination and nothing will get in the way. The murder of the driver will not get in the way. This train will make progress. Stay on the train. It's very easy for us to look back, maybe to a time when you were part of a church family, perhaps a big youth group, and you think those were the good days. And you look back and you want them again. Or it may be that uh, we want to look back to the miracles that were done in the Bible, and we say we want to go back to those times. I want to live in those days again. And the Bible tells us all the good things that we've known in the past are all ultimately pointing us to the future. It is the future where all things will be restored. And the man who was restored in the past is telling us what it will be like in the future. Stay on the train. Look back on the promises, but look forward to the experience. Stay on the train. Life may not always be exciting like this. Life may be routine. Life may have its worries. Life may have its discouragements. Stay on the train. The picture of heaven is still ahead. The picture of one day, you, if you are a believer who has a vertical faith in God that is growing, a repentant faith in God that is deep, you will find yourself walking and leaping and praising God. The future is in front. That future is the destination to wait for. Stay on the train. I'll stop there and I'll give you a chance to maybe think quietly for yourself for the minute and pray and then I'll pick up and pray. Well, we've uh, prayed quietly. Let me pray to finish. Our gracious Father, we don't find it easy to admit how dead we are, how Jesus rejected we are, and we'd rather add on things to our lives rather than take away or turn from the things that we live for so that we might live for you. Please help us repent, to turn back so that our sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come to us from your presence. And help us to be faithful to you while we wait for you to restore all things as you have promised. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.